to the Hollywood Renaissance limited podcast series with Rita Award winner and Wall Street Journal best-selling author Kennedy Ryan. Today, our special guests are New York Times best-selling author of The Wedding Date and The Proposal, Jasmine Guillory, and our host Mackenzie Jean-Philippe, who is the editorial assistant at Oprah Daily. Make sure you stick around till the end. After this conversation, we have a special excerpt from the real audiobook. Real is a standalone contemporary love story celebrating all the hues of Hollywood, old and new. With that, let's get this conversation started. Hi, everybody. My name is Mackenzie Jean-Philippe. I'm the editorial assistant at Oprah Daily, and I'm so excited to be chatting on the Hollywood Renaissance podcast today with Kennedy Ryan about her upcoming book. And we'll also be chatting to Jasmine Guillory, too. Um, So first, let me introduce Kennedy. Um, She's the Rita Award winner and Wall Street Journal bestselling author. Um, She consistently delivers emotionally evocative, thought-provoking stories like Queen Move, Long Shot, and now the anticipated Real, which launches her groundbreaking Hollywood Renaissance series. So welcome, Kennedy. So excited to talk to you. I am so excited to talk with you, too. Thank you for being here with us. Yes, of course. Um, So tell us a little bit about Real and kind of what went into developing this story. I started reading it, and I'm obsessed with the universe already. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That's so cool. That's really, really cool. Um, It is a series that is kind of born out of, um, and I've been saying this, so people who have been listening are probably so tired of me saying how obsessed I am with this era um, and with a lot of the movies that we saw coming out, like Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and Sylvie's Love and just all of these stories that started reaching back and kind of reclaiming um, stories about Black people, told by Black people, you know. And um, I've talked a lot about kind of the agency that we're seeing right now, where it's not just our stories, but it's our stories helmed by directors and story, you know, um, directors, showrunners, producers, and it makes a difference. There's such an authenticity um, to these stories. And I just kind of started thinking about the Harlem Renaissance and how there's a, I can't remember if it was Variety. I can't remember which um, magazine I saw a few weeks back that called it the Black Hollywood Renaissance. And I was like, I'm on the the right page. (laughs) Because that's how it feels to me too, is kind of that same um, energy that we saw with a collective energy. So of course we've been creating forever, but that kind of collective energy, that buzz, that production that, you know, that's coming out of black Hollywood specifically right now. Um, and I don't know that it could have happened mm-hmm. the way it's happening at any other time because it is in the context of uprising in the context of protests in the context of an entire culture and system trying to write itself in certain ways, which is opening um, opportunities for artists and creatives of color that we haven't had before or that have been blocked um, for, you know, for us before. So I just started kind of synergizing all of those thoughts and somehow it came together as this new series. And I say Black Black Hollywood, but it's a very diverse series. Mm -hmm. It's about an entire cast. There is a makeup artist, there's a cinematographer, there is a costume designer. You know, of course there's an actress and a director. And you asked me about real. So the first story of this series focuses on the director and the actor and the director has kind of uncovered this kind of lost story uh, which is very common with so many Black creatives from this era, from every era. <laughs> you know, a lot of times our contributions have been undersung, overlooked, miscredited, stolen. 
Um, and so he finds kind of this lost life in a fictionalized composite, someone I kind of made up uh, as a composite of people like Bessie Smith and Ma Rainey and Billie Holiday and Adelaide Hall. And he decides he's going to make a biopic, you know, a movie about her life. And he finds the perfect Desi Blue in an understudy on Broadway, relatively unknown actress, um, Neva Saint. And so we kind of follow their story and we follow Desi's story, uh, which weaves throughout the book. It's beautiful. And I love hearing about the inspiration of the Harlem Renaissance, because I feel like that's such a vibrant era in history. Yes. So. Yeah, it was really exciting to kind of lose myself in that. I was telling the other day I had like a map of Harlem from the 30s and the 40s and I'm tracing Lenox Avenue and I'm, you know, all the landmarks and trying to figure out how to kind of organically work them into the story. And it was, it was um, for me, kind of transformational as a writer. It really stretched me in my craft, um, in research, you know, and in just figuring out how to tell this story because there's a third perspective, which is Desi. Desi's, I had yes. to- Yes, you have a script in a book. Right, I, I had to learn how to write a screenplay. <laughs> and so that's, I didn't want to go all the way back, like now we're in the thirties, but I didn't want to tell Desi's life story. And so I decided to use the script to communicate that. And so it was challenging, but it was fun. It was a lot of fun. Yes, well, it's a beautiful story. And I'm obsessed, as I said, <laughs> and then, Let's bring in Jasmine, who also has her own Hollywood romance novel coming out in July. Um, Jasmine Guillory is the New York Times bestselling author of six romance novels, including The Wedding Date, The Proposal, and The Upcoming While We Were Dating. Her work has appeared in Oh, The Oprah Magazine, Cosmopolitan, Bon Appetit, and Time. She lives in Oakland, California. So welcome, Jasmine. So excited to have you in this conversation, too. Yeah, I can't wait to talk about this. I think it's going to be so fun for us to talk about Hollywood and romance and um, writing. I love Kennedy's work, so I'm thrilled to get to have this conversation. I am too, Jasmine. Thank you for being here. Oh my goodness, my pleasure. <laughs> yes. So Jasmine, give us a little rundown of While We Were Dating. Um, so While We Were Dating is about Ben and Anna. Um, Anna is a uh, rising movie star um, who has had some adversity in the past few years and is really trying to kind of break out. Um, and she is filming a, um, a sort of series of ads, uh, this new ad campaign um, in San Francisco. And Ben is the advertising executive on that. And they uh, start a little romance. Ben was the um, brother in a previous book of mine, The Wedding Party. And I was, as soon as I wrote him on the page, I was just like, I just knew he had to have his own book. Um, and so I was really excited to write Ben's book and um, and his love story with Anna. I'm so excited. And I was seeing that you said while we were dating, maybe the last or is the last in your universe that started off with the wedding date. How does it feel to kind of wrap up that like huge world that you created and kind of got everyone like hooked on your stories? Um, you know, I haven't really thought about that yet. <laughs> I mean, I really know. <laughs> this I think is kind of the perfect ending um, to that group of stories. But um, I do think it'll be a little sad for me to close that chapter because I really do love all of these people so much. And I've had such a wonderful time um, writing all of their books. And so, um, but I do think this is sort of a, a really good place to end that and kind of start something new the next time. Definitely. 
So I was kind of doing an overview of both of you guys and you y'all both have so many similarities, so many like parallel things going on right now with your careers and your lives. Like I think both of y'all had political romances out last year. Now you both have Hollywood romances out. <laughs> we didn't plan it, I promise. <laughs> Oh, I just realized that the other day because um, well, I don't want to interrupt you, Mackenzie, but I realized that the other day I was like, we both had Holly, you know, we both had kind of like politically focused um, books last year. Now we have kind of like, and they're like, we're a month apart. Same thing now. And I've heard you talk about creating during the pandemic. I, you know, we, it's just. Yeah, I would love to talk to you about that because, whoa, baby, that was something. Well, I, I want to hear about that because you hear so many creatives saying that. Um, last year was in particular was kind of hard to kind of be inspired right. and come up with anything. <laughs> so I'd love to hear what was, that was like for both of you, especially with these two huge projects that came out for you guys. Yeah, you know, Jackson, yeah. for me at the beginning, it was just so hard to even think about writing. Um, I think like, because there was so much uncertainty, you know, we didn't know we didn't know anything about like what was happening, how long it would last. I mean, we still sort of don't really know that, but, but we have a better idea now, right? Like we couldn't really plan. Um, and I, I felt like impossible for me to think about writing a contemporary story when I had no idea what contemporary would life look like the next month even, you know? And so I felt really frozen. I mean, I had, um, Last March, I was at a writing retreat. I was the like author in residence at this writing retreat. And I was like, this will be perfect. Um, it, you know, it's just about time for me to really start diving into the next book. I will start outlining it while I'm there. And then in a few weeks, I'll start writing it for real. And then like the day that we got to the writing retreat was like that day that the world all fell apart. Like, you know, we, we were all at dinner and everybody looked at their phones and was like, Tom Hanks has coronavirus, Broadway shut down, like the NBA shut down, like it was all, all at once, you know, and I was frozen, like I couldn't, I didn't know what to do, I kind of jotted down a few things, um, I, I brought a journal with me that weekend, and so I just kind of made myself write in it, but I didn't, like, I couldn't, I couldn't really think, like, creatively, right, I thought of a few things that actually did end up in the book, um, but I had, you know, this book I'd sold on a proposal. And so I had like a very different, <laughs> a very different plot line for this book than what it ended up being. And then about six weeks later, I was just like, I need to just write something partly for, partly for my, myself. You know, I didn't like, I was like, I feel like I need some, some other world to try to get lost in because this current world is not doing it for me <laughs> right now. Um, I need like something else to help me. And so that is really like, it was hard at first. I like only wrote a f kind of very little bit every day at first. Um, but, but after a few months, like writing their story was really what got me through. Like it, I sort of got up every morning, like the thing that got me up every morning was being able to write and like being able to work on it. I would have like ideas in my mind when I woke up in the morning and like would wake up and start writing. And so, and that usually is not what happens to me. Um, and so it really, it was really a shift for me because at first it was so hard. Um, and after a while, it was kind of the only thing that like got me through um, some of those really hard months last summer. Mm -hmm. And Kennedy, what about you? 
Um, I agree. (laughs) (laughs) I've talked about this a few times before, the timing of everything, because um, it was a tighter publishing timeline. So I think it was the begin somewhere in March is when uh, everything kind of fell apart. We moved from Charlotte to Atlanta, and the day we moved to Atlanta is the day the mayor shut the city down. Oh my God. And oh, so wow. that meant no school for my son. You know, all of a sudden, no school. And my son has autism, no therapy. Um, we were in and our house wasn't ready. Um, my identity had been stolen. <laughs> oh my God. It, oh, it was so much. So we ended up staying in an Airbnb for like eight weeks. And I mm. just remember sitting on my floor, literally sobbing <laughs> in the Airbnb because I had this deadline, you know, because. If I had been self-publishing the book, I could have been like, you know, insert Monique meme, this too much, <laughs> you know, like, this is too much. Um, but it was for a small press. It was So I didn't have control over that deadline and I, I wanted to honor it. And so I just pressed through, but it was very, very difficult. Um, uh, the lack of structure and having to figure out what was going to happen with my son while I'm trying to finish this book and get it done. It I, at one point I just remember going, I just can't do this. And I, I finished like a really, really rough draft and I just had such a, that's over, you know? And when I sent it to my alpha readers, they were like, um, I think, one of them said, um, this is not, this is not a Kennedy Ryan novel yet. <laughs> and I was like, no, I don't know what that means, but it doesn't sound good. <laughs> so basically I had to go, I added, <laughs> I added about 15,000 words to that first draft just because I was mm. in such a desolate place um, when I wrote it. And it was such a struggle, but it was queen move and it ended up being a really, I mean, from my perspective, a great book for me and um, other people. And it's so interesting, Jasmine, because you wrote an article in Time about joy, like finding joy during the pandemic. And you, thank you so much. You mentioned Queen Move. But when I read that article, I was like, this is this is it. Like, you know, finding joy in the pandemic. Because I also was having trouble getting perspective on why is this important right now? Oh, me too. Absolutely. You yeah. know, because it's like, We have, you know, we had George Floyd's death. We have this pandemic. We have people dying every day. Why is them? Why do they have to kiss? (laughs) Why? Why does this have to happen right now? Why? Why am I I doing this? Right. Why do I have to pour so much of my attention and my focus and my energy into fiction? You know. And I think that for me, I really had I wrestled with that for a long Mm. time. And then I figured out, you know, it is joy, you know, and it was so amazing once Queen Move was out to get messages from people said, oh, my God, thank God I had Queen Move or thank God I had, you know, the books that I had because they gave me joy. I didn't have anything to do. I was locked in my house. I was frustrated or whatever. And reading Queen Move or reading whatever gave me joy. And it kind of helped me to have perspective. Um, It's still difficult. Um, Real was hard to write, too, but I think easier. yeah, it, it got easier. Well, I think we had a little more perspective mm-hmm. on where things were going too. You know, by then it was like, okay, we're gonna we have a vaccine, we're headed toward normal life, and last year just felt like the pre-apocalypse. <laughs> you talking about a deadline? Like I sent my agent emails. I think like once a month, all you know, from like May to 
August saying, because uh, I had a, I had a deadline for while we were dating. It was October. I, I like, I kept saying, I'm not going to turn this book in on time. Please tell my editor. I'm not. No way. She was like, every time she was like, okay, all right. And I think actually doing that, like telling myself, there's no way I can do this really helped me because it like helps take the pressure off. Um, because at first I just felt like I just felt paralyzed and I just like tried to write, but I couldn't even conceive of the idea of like writing a book at this time. So when I just was like, you know what, I don't have to write a book. I'm just going to write something that I, for me, it will just like make me happy. And then I, and then I ended up writing a book and I turned it in on time. But I, but I think unless I had like let myself off the hook there and, I wouldn't have been able to do it because it was just like there were, there were already too many scary things happening. Like I couldn't handle one more source of it. Like I didn't want my work to be my source of anxiety. Um, and it wasn't that let's, mm -hmm. that sort of turned a switch and it ended up being kind of my escape um, in the pandemic, which was really lovely. But I like, I also agree. You know, I had a release last summer and I had people tell me, um, that, you know, it was their escape. It was their source of joy. And I was also going through that feeling like, why am I even doing this? Right. And that like messages like that were just so helpful. Um, cause it really, and it's funny cause like, right. I wrote that piece for time magazine, but it's so much easier for me to say that about other people's work. <laughs> and so even while I was writing that, I was like, yes, this is so important, you know, work and, and fair Roshan's work and all of this. And I was like, but my work, though, that's different. <laughs> so, so it is very helpful just to, you know, to hear that people are getting, people are getting something, you know, out of that. That it because it felt because sometimes it feels like, and even though I know this, I know this, and I say this to other people, sometimes it can feel like our work isn't important, especially in those hard moments. And so, it really is so wonderful that we. Uh, that that we are bringing that joy to other people because I cause I know Kennedy your work brings that joy to me um, and so I like it really just says a lot for for other people to be getting that out of my work. Thank you, thank you because usually people say I bring tears to them. So well, that's true. <laughs> you bring tears and you bring joy, <laughs> joy and pain. Okay, yeah, yes. yeah, sunshine and rain. <laughs> I think it's great that like you guys just reinforced at the end of the day, romance brought joy to you guys in amidst the crazy and us as readers. And I think that's always been romance's place and literature and books, the genre in general has always served as a source of happiness and uplifting moments, no matter what craziness is going on. So even throughout the pandemic, it managed to still pull through and bring in positivity. So that's great to hear. And then two, getting back into like the whole Hollywood theme, um, I'd love to hear what is so, well, I feel like this is self-explanatory, but for you all personally, what is so like sexy and alluring about Hollywood and like creating love stories out of like this, this world that we all see every day through like newspapers and social media and whatever, but then actually delving into like a novel and a book. What is it about Hollywood that's so kind of, alluring and I guess we can start with Jasmine if you want to yeah, get into you know, that I mean I think there's so much to it right because there's like there's so much that we that we see um either through you know the movies themselves or the publicity or magazines but then there's so much behind the scenes that we don't necessarily see and I 
love thinking about that. You know, what really happens, what really goes on, both on the side of like the actual making of of movies and you know how how like the whole sausage gets made because I love hearing those kinds of stories but then also the people right because I think there's people have to kind of show one side of themselves um for you know to be a public figure to be to have this kind of persona um that you know people cheer for and want to see but then there's always a real person behind that and so I love to kind of really think about like who are those real people? What are the parts of themselves that they have to hide or, or not necessarily have to, but just don't want to share with the world, you know? Um, You know? And so I, that kind of stuff was really so fun for me to think about and really think through um, who are their families? How did they become who they are? um, What, what is it like for them kind of on a day-to-day basis? And how do they think of themselves? You know, all of that stuff, I just find fascinating to think about. Mm -hmm, Definitely. You, Kennedy, what about you? Um, I think I, my favorite thing to write is artists. Mm -hmm. You know, like my favorite thing to write is writers, poets, songwriters, singers, performers, like that's my favorite thing to write. And so I hadn't, I wrote the Hoop series a while back. And so people were like, oh, Kennedy writes sports romance. And I'm like, I really don't. <laughs> like, I, I love writing artists. And then I wrote a political romance. And like, oh, Kennedy writes political romance. And I'm like, I love writing artists. And so this was kind of like a series where I really got back to something I enjoy, which is, um, you know, writing about creatives. And it feels kind of meta, you know, in some places, uh, because it's just so instinctive for me to kind of crawl into that place. My hero is a director and he's obsessive, which it's so funny because so, several of my friends read the book and his name is Canon and he is artistically obsessed. And which a lot of directors are. I actually interviewed a few women who were married to directors as part of kind of like my research. (laughs) And they said that when you're married to a director, I mean, of course, this is not everyone's experience, but they said being married to a director while he's he or she is doing a movie is like they're underwater. And you're basically like, hello, (laughs) you know. (laughs) And my husband feels like that all the time when I'm writing. But several of my friends were like, I think you're canon (laughs) because I have an obsessive personality. And especially when it comes to like writing art, anything that I'm working on, I get very, very like hyper focused on it. Um, I'm in therapy. So don't worry. (laughs) I am in therapy. I'm back in. That was also, let me put a pin in that because I do want to talk about therapy, which came up in both of our books. Yes. <laughs> I, you know what? The funny thing is, Jasmine, I feel like therapy comes up in every one of my books now because how else do you get through life? How do people get through life? It's important. It's important. Very. Therapy's important. Well, and um, it's funny because um, therapy does come up. But uh, we were talking, I think we were talking with Emily Henry and she was saying that therapy comes up in like all of her books. And she said, I don't even, I don't know how to write these stories without figuring out what happened to you as a child. Like, how are we going to fix that original wound? (laughs) Um, But I really dove into kind of like the makings of it. And I was very fascinated by the cinematography. I was telling somebody, I can't remember who I was telling, but I, you know, you can take master classes. 
I took one with Spike Lee. I took one with Martin Scorsese. I took one with Issa Rae. Um, I just, because I really wanted to get into kind of some, I wanted to have a command of the language, you know, as far as how, of filmmaking. And I kind of like really sub, submerged myself in that. And um, I don't know, I just, I, I loved all the behind the scenes stuff. Like there's two more books, there's two more full length novels. One is called Score and that's the music director. And then there's another one called Seam and that's the costume designer. And then the novella that's coming out in September is called The Close Up and that's the makeup artist. Because you know, a lot of times we just kind of focus on the kind of the, the big things, you know, like director, actor. And I was really interested in this whole cast, which also becomes a family. Like over the course of them making this movie that's very important to all of them, they create community. And that was really interesting to me during the pandemic because I find myself so isolated, you know, like I have to be so intentional about connecting yeah. to people because writing is a pretty, can be, can become a very solitary pursuit anyway. And I feel like the pandemic just kind of like heightens that. <laughs> I don't know if you yeah. felt like that, Jasmine. Oh, 100%. And it's funny because, you know, you talking about that, like, I feel like someone, someone on a few months ago said something about like uh, another writer I follow said something about how all of her um, young adult books were kind of secretly family stories. And I was like, well, all of my romance novels are secretly family stories. But, and like this book, I feel like there's a, I, there's a so much um, family in there. Cause it, you know, and like what, what Emily uh, Henry said about your kind of wound as a child, like I think feel like family makes up so much of who you are as a person. And so both, you know, Ben and Anna's families are play a really big role in this book. And partly I think that was because like I was thinking about my family a lot because I come from a really big family. Um I didn't get to see most of them, you know, throughout the pandemic. We we would have, you know, on my dad's side, my dad is one of um, eight brothers and sisters. I have a bunch of cousins. And so we would have like weekly Zoom calls for a while. And sometimes I have some cousins around here so we could like see each other from a distance. But it didn't feel like, if, you know, it felt like when is going to be the next time when we're all going to be able to see each other again. And so there's a lot of like just small things about my family that comes up or like there were a few like little jokes that I made in this book, really thinking about my family that like literally two weeks ago, I did get to see a bunch of my family again. And one of my cousins said something like, that and I was like I put that in my book <laughs> you gotta read it. but it, like it's stuff like that that really played a role because I think you know family is so important to so many people and so much of like how your family raised you and made you into a person is really about how you relate to other people as an adult um and so the, uh, there's a, a lot of that like plays a big part in in while we were dating um, in, in, I don't want to give too much away, but in real family is very much um, a huge part of it. And some of it is kind of being estranged from your family and found, and there's a big kind of like found family. And I think that's something that kind of runs through a lot of my work too, is who, um, obviously family is very important, but who are those people who you choose, you know? And um, in this book, there's a lot of like family you choose some because you you are distanced from your real family and you have to figure out how to fix that. And in the meantime, you kind of make family where you are. Um, and this book also has, uh, the heroine has a chronic illness and um, just the way people rally around her becomes something that's very, very important in the book. Joy is joy, I promise. <laughs> but, um, you know, just, 
I think sometimes something like that, I really wanted to create in Neva a heroine who um, is managing chronic illness valiantly, you know, and is not going to allow anything if, if it's possible to stop her from pursuing her dreams. And I wanted that to, to be something that was persistent throughout this book is um, how people rally around her and the community that she creates as she's navigating all of these things. First of all, this huge movie being on her shoulders and she's a novice, but then also managing chronic illness in the midst of it and how people kind of rally around her and support her. So. So with Hollywood too, I think it's really interesting that you, in addition, I think Kennedy, you kind of touched on it is right now in Hollywood, um, black filmmakers, black actors, everything in that era is kind of having a resurgence and it's kind of a really big time right now for people of color and black people in Hollywood. So what was it like for both of you to kind of write stories in Hollywood centering around people of color. Why was that so important to you to kind of show them in that world? Um, and Kennedy, you can go first. Um, I think for me, it, it kind of found its seed in what I was talking about before is, you know, just such a sense of pride in seeing what we were, what we are capable of, what we've always been capable of, what we are accomplishing. Um, and like I said, this kind of like flurry of projects, really it started even before some of the ones I mentioned, I was obsessed, not low key obsessed, high key obsessed with um, Lovecraft Country last summer. Well, I can't remember when that was, um, but I was just obsessed with that show. I was obsessed with um, I May Destroy You. You know, I was all the shows. It seemed like most of the shows that I mean, a lot of shows, especially because it was the pandemic and you're just c consuming anything that'll kind of, you know, keep your mind active and keep you engaged. But so many of the shows that I was watching were these black storytellers who who were sitting in the director's seat who were the showrunners um like Misha Green you know for I think it's Green I may have just said it wrong Misha Green for um for Lovecraft Country like um Michaela Cole for you know I may destroy you and then of course you know we're looking at Sylvie's Love and all of the different all these uh, oh, Sylvie's <laughs> Love was so pretty sorry <laughs> Sylvie's Love it was so gorgeous mm -hmm. you know I mean like this, even be, the story was great too, but it was, and I loved, I'm a real geek about like interviews and hearing behind the scenes. And as I was listening to the producers, the directors, the actor, the, you know, the mains, they were all talking about how they wanted to just create a love story for Black Hollywood because we don't always get that. We rarely get that actually, you know, where it's just, we get, just get to be in love. And they looked back at kind of like the old Hollywood, like in the 40s and the 50s and how it was gorgeously shot. And they really couldn't find a lot of equivalents starring black people, you know, that did that and felt like that. And they wanted to do that. And I just I was so inspired by that. And I was deep into real by the time that movie came out. But um, I just felt a real sense of pride. You know, I felt a real sense of like black excellence <laughs> and seeing us thrive that way and seeing what we're absolutely capable of and seeing us exporting. And this is something that's really important to, important to me, exporting our experience in such a way that absolutely anyone can access it and be like, this is amazing. Uh, you know, and just seeing how our stories are reaching so many people. They always have, but it feels like the the reach is even greater now and that we are reaching people with our stories that maybe weren't paying attention before and now are. Um, 
you know, I, it, I, I, had, I was really, really impressed with Judas and the Black Messiah. Um, obviously, it's a great movie, but it's also the first um, movie with an all-Black producers team nominated for an Oscar. And I think that's significant, you know, because it says not only, you know, are we starring in these movies or are we we are the power behind these movies. We are helming them. We are directing. We are shaping the trajectory of this. And our contributions are it's it's incalculable. You know what black people have, how black people have shaped American culture, the culture of this world. You can't even calculate our contribution. And so for me, it was really important that something that is incalculable and sometimes not celebrated, that we did celebrate it. And so that was something that was really important to me. Yeah, I love that. Perfect answer. And Jasmine, what about you? I really, I really think so hard about like the, the, the Black movie stars that we do have because we don't have enough of them. And growing up, right, like I think of me as that little girl like the the people that I had to like look on screen and have their princess moment because like I didn't get to see that um and so I want to write those stories you know I want to write about those women who get to like be the star and what like both their their triumphs and their joys and then also what you know what their like what the hard things are that they're dealing with and how they sometimes how they overcome them and sometimes like how it hurts them. Right. And so I wanted to be able to really think about who those women are and like give them their love story. That's what, like, that's what I really wanted to do. That's what I had so much fun with is like really crafting, like who these people were, what their love story was and what would be like, what would be the things that would make them fall in love with one another? Like what, you know, what it was it about, um, ben that would make Anna like really be happy with him what would you know what would make her happy because she has worked so hard to get where she is and I kind of love like I love stories about women who are really like ambitious and joyful but also like full, you know full of love and figuring out how best to like love other people and themselves. And so I thought it would be really fun to kind of put that into a Hollywood story, ha like see where Anne is in her career because she's like rising up, but she wants to get even higher. And what's her version of that? You know, there are lots of like other people have different versions of that for her, but I wanted her to know, really know what her own version of that was. And both of you two, another similarity that you guys share is both y'all's work is optioned for TV and hopefully we'll see that those stories come to life soon yes and so I was curious do y'all have like dream castings for either I don't know if you can say much for the stories that are already currently optioned but let's talk about like <laughs> real and while you're dating do y'all have dream castings for either of those stories and Kennedy you start can I start with you <laughs> Um, I, you know, I don't, I definitely don't, I have ideas for the others, but it's so funny. And I'm sure this happens to you too, Jasmine, but you know, readers message me constantly and they're like, mm -hmm. don't mess this up. <laughs> That's what they say. Not talking yet about real because nothing's happened for real. I could just say that right now. Um, but for the other books that have been optioned, they're like, do not, one of them is launched. Do not mess up August West. That's what you 
robe. And they're like, if you don't let them mess up, queen move. And I'm just like, okay, you know. <laughs> Does that happen to you, Jazzy? Like, do, they, do they message you and say things like that? <laughs> yes, I have gotten that too. <laughs> Well, you mentioned August West. Can I put you on the spot? Do you have a dream casting for him? You did put me on the spot. <laughs> I do not have a dream. I do not have a dream cast for August West. I should. Um, I am so, this sounds ridiculous, but the guy who's on the cover of Longshot, it's hard for me to think about anybody as August West except him. It's so funny because I had, I saw him, I don't know, on uh, Pinterest or something. And I was like, wow, this is my guy. And I said, I, what if I reached out to him and asked him to be on my cover? Of course he'll say no, but I'll do it. And I reached out mm -hmm. to him and he's, uh, I can't remember where he's from Brussels and he, he speaks mm. French, but he was, he said, we, oui. <laughs> He said he would, and I was just bowled over. And I love him so much. But I have, I really don't know who um, would be cast as August. I'm just, and I'm sure you feel this way too, Jasmine, just very protective, you know, of the stories. Very, you, there's only so much control, you know, you have. Yeah. But I'm very fortunate to be in a space right now where I, I'm getting to speak into things. And that's really, really important for me. It's really, really important for me because we're building a team of creatives that those creatives um, are, you know, it's a diverse team that will be able to tell these stories. My whole thing is to center people who have been at the margins of traditional storytelling to center them. And it's very important to me that our team, you know, reflect that diversity and that authenticity. So that's something, you know, that's something that we're working on for real. I don't actually, I do have a, uh, the heroine, I can't, it's bad that I can't remember her name, but she was, See, this is my problem with dreamcasting. I can never remember names. So I'm always like, I saw a picture on Instagram, I think. Like, I can never remember names. Right. <laughs> She's even on my Pinterest board. She is in Hollywood. Like, the the show Hollywood that's on um, that's on Netflix right now. And she was also in the the uh, uh, Klansman movie, the Black Klansman movie. Yeah. Laura Harrier, Harrier, Harrier. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. She is on my Pinterest board as my, um, as my Neva. And I've been going back and forth between uh, Kofi uh, from Queen Sugar and Aldous Hodge. Kofi is very popular in my, my family. <laughs> very popular, very popular. And um, I started with Aldis and then I went to Kofi and I've kind of just been going back and forth between them there. I mean, there's not a loser in that bunch, you know, so that's kind of my dream cast, like on my mood board for Neva and uh, Canon. Okay. And Jasmine. I'll yeah, no, I'm now. terrible at this. You don't, I always like it mm -hmm. when like readers dream cast for me because I'm like, oh, great. You answer that question for me. Um, <laughs> but especially since when I'm writing, like I have a vision in my mind of who they are. And so it's hard for me to like think of a person who fits that. Do you know what I mean? Um, I will say though, that when I went, when we were coming up with the cover for while we were dating, like we were doing that before I had turned the manuscript in. And so like nobody in my publishing team knew anything. And I was just like giving them stuff. And so I was like, I sent in a few like 
pictures, you know, for them to like figure out like body and hair and like all of that. And like the one of the pictures that I sent in, and this was like two months before the, before it came out, was um, the Duke from Bridgerton. <laughs> I was like, okay, think of this when you think of Ben. And so, so that's a, you know, that's one possibility. He's free now, but, um, <laughs> but, um, but I don't have a really good handle on who would be an Anna. So if anybody has a good idea of that, once they read the book, please. I'm sure me. they will. They, they, the readers always know. <laughs> they always do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Too, um, what's it like now to kind of have your books in a position where they'll end up on screen in a time when a lot of romance novels or a good amount more than previously are kind of getting that attention and being picked up for um, TV, movies, et cetera, in Hollywood. What's it like right now to see this genre get its flowers finally or kind of getting that attention that we've all known it should have gotten years and years ago what's that like right now to be a part of it and to see um colleagues kind of getting that attention too yeah i mean it's long overdue like you said right like there've been for so many years it's like i mean first of all we've all been like crying out for more romantic comedies right i mean those are the movies that i have always wanted to see um i feel like we had a huge emptiness of romantic comedies for like 20 years and now they're finally starting to come back um and then when once they started to come back everyone was like well there's all these great romances out there like grab grab them make them into movies so so i think you know that's starting to happen so i mean let's all keep our fingers crossed that it keeps going and that all of these um projects do get made because there's so many great books out there that would make amazing movies and i um and i both like want those movies to be made and i want you know, more people to discover the book. So I think it'll, hopefully, um, everything will will be great in in the years to come. I'm really excited about all of this. Kennedy? Um, It's kind of surreal in the sense that when you look around and it's it's like, obviously it's surreal that it happens to you, but then it's really surreal that it's happening to like some of your friends, you know? Um, One, I'm good friends with B.B. Easton and um, her book uh, Sex Life is about to come out on Netflix and she posted um, to her to her TikTok which is a whole other oh world now you know book talk I mean it, it, you know anyway we can we can have a whole interview about that <laughs> but she posted to TikTok and to her Instagram um, one of her friends was across from the um, I was about to say the forum <laughs> um, Staples that tells you how old I am I'm still talking about the forum <laughs> we're about all the way back to kareem in la but um um she was across from staples and they have these a whole wall like a huge huge um display of billboards just for her for her show and she's just like i can't even believe you know i can't even believe this is my life and i think just to see that happening for such talented people who um romance has been so denigrated before by broader culture and still is still being appreciated. Things like Bridgerton, um, things like, um, oh gosh, I'm not going to, Virgin River, like just different books of ours that have, you know, gone on to be successful um, are opening doors for so many people. And now Hollywood is kind of mining um, our genre for more stories. And it's not something that's new. The thing I love is that we have always known that romance is so powerful 
and you know they call it mommy porn they call it whatever they want to call it that would judge it like we have been the people who always esteemed it we have been the people who recognize that the power of romance is that it centers women that it centers our agency that it centers our pleasure you know and so to see quality stories being um exported to broader culture from our genre is it's just so gratifying and it's really cool when you see it happening to pe good people, talented people. And they couldn't, I mean, they could literally mine our genre for years and not get all of our great stories. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. that's a fact. A we fact. have some of the best writers in, you know, not even just romance, but our writers, so many of our writers are so incredibly talented. And sometimes the how talented they are is not appreciated because they're writing romance. And I hope that this will help usher in um, a season where romance writers are appreciated for being incredibly talented and writing joy, writing pain, writing humanity, the same way they esteem, you know, general fic, lit fic, you know, thrillers, all these other genres. And we're like the, we're like the workhorse of publishing. And it's really good to see, you know, romance getting its due. Definitely. I agree. And then last question on the subject of Hollywood and romance. I'm just curious, do you all have a favorite rom-com or a favorite romance movie that you just like repeatedly go back to or has stuck with you over the years? I know mine. I love Love Jones. That's like the epitome of like Rome, a perfect romance film. Like it's just on every level, it's just perfect. And then kind of like the new um, age of romance. I don't know if you guys saw the photograph, but that was beautiful too. It was really, it was so soft and like subtle, but it was, it was beautiful. So the cinematography on that, you know, like the way, and you could tell that someone shot it who knew how to shoot, uh, you know, skin, you know, skin for people of color. It was just, it was the glorious. And they talked about that, like the lighting and how, you know, everything. I love the photograph and love Jones. I have a, I have like a triumvirate, <laughs> which is love Jones, brown sugar. And, um, oh, what's my other love Jones, brown sugar and uh, 11 basketball. That's like my, that's like my triumvirate. And it's like, why can't every movie be like that? Um, mm -hmm. But the, those are the ones, if Love Jones is on, whatever's happening, I just stop. I just watch it. My husband and I quote it, quote that and quote um, Brown Sugar to each other. Whenever, I don't know if you guys have watched Brown Sugar. I mean, you probably have watched Brown Sugar. But um, that's, of course, Sanaa Lathan and, um, and Tay Diggs. And even if I'm like about cooking and I'm like, we're going to do something, my husband goes, can we just camp out at the food level for it? Because I don't know if you guys know that line from the movie, but they say that. Like, can we just camp out at the food level for a minute? So, you know, and then there's another line from that movie where he goes, um, Richard Dawson. Like, there's just all these one-liners, all of these, you know, scenes that just stick with me. So though that's kind of like my, the three um, one of the other ones that I go to, and I'm I'm such a I'm such a middle school boy, <laughs> like <laughs> when it comes to like the movies I love. And what I the Wedding Crashers, oh my gosh, like oh my God. the Wedding Crashers. Anytime that's on, it's over because there's all this love. There there's like two love stories that run through it, but then it's also just a zillion one liners and. 
both of those guys, I'm, you know, I'm going blank. Of course I am, but both of them are just hilarious. And then, um, anyway, I could talk about that movie all day, but that's one of like my go-tos is that one. Um, I was going to say both Love Jones and Love and Basketball, but then another one that I just watch anytime I see a little bit of it on is When Harry Met Sally. I just love that movie so much. There's just so many perfect scenes in it. All of the like interviews with the old people and their love stories. I just, I just love them so much. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's yes. a great one. And I, I want to mention too, 10 oh, things I hate about oh, you. That's like, that's my, yeah. that's my. Oh like, my gosh. Oh. <laughs> you know, too many times. Yeah, talk about a grand gesture. <laughs> like the, the band, the marching band. Mm-hmm. That's like one of my favorite grand gestures ever is like when he has the marching band come out for her. And then my one last question to wrap everything up. I just want to know, what are you guys reading right now? I always, I know that's like a go-to question, but I just love to hear what everyone's into at the moment. Um, so, hmm, Kennedy, do you want to go first? Okay. Okay. Now, now I have to go, I have to dig into my mind. First <laughs> of all, I don't really, I don't read a lot mm-hmm. while I'm writing mm-hmm. and I don't read a lot of contemporary romance while I'm too. writing contemporary romance. It's, it gets into my head. So, right. It's like, it's like the voice is too much yeah. like what I'm doing. And so I tend to read historical or fantasy and I have been reading, um, I was on a, and I also, own, I also really only read by audiobook. You know, and so um, I used to be one of those people who couldn't do audiobooks, and now it's like the only way. When I pick up a book, I'm like, "What is this? What do I? What do I do with this?" <laughs> if there's pages, uh, you know. <laughs> so audio. So the audios. Uh, uh, Sab- Sabat here. I'm gonna get her name wrong, but it's the, the Ember in the Ashes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's like four of them, and it got me through all of real, like because it's four of them, and each of them is like 16 hours long, and it would take me a week and a half have to get through even one because I'm just listening in snatches that's one and I just finished another one um also by audio um also fantasy uh what is this I'm looking it up now um it was just option for television uh, oh gosh uh we free the stars and we hunt the flame and I can't remember her name right now but Havzal She's, um, she's, oh, sorry. She's, uh, I can't remember where she's from, but she's an amazing Muslim writer and her work is incredible, but that's just, I, I've just been kind of like on a fantasy kick because I don't really read contemporary while I'm writing. So those were two and they're very diverse. I love the way they're describing brown skin and, you know, it's just, it's really beautiful. So. Um, I just got an advanced copy of Rise to the Sun, um, Leah Johnson's uh, new book that comes out um, in early July. She wrote um, You Should See yes. Me in a Crown uh, last year, Young Adult Romance, which I just loved so, so much. I haven't been able to stop talking about it since I read it. Um, and so her second book is just as like good as you want it to be, um, which I'm really excited about. I like literally just started it, but I think it's still great. Um, and then, um, and I love that cover. It's yes, a, I was about to say that. Yeah, the, the cover is beautiful. So, the cover is so beautiful. So, um, so yeah, so I'm very excited about that one. And that comes out, I think, July 6th. I think that's right. And um, and then I also just got in, but I haven't started yet, but I'm really excited for um, Farrah Roshan's new one that comes out in August. It's called The Dating Playbook. I have that one. Yeah, too. So yes. that one I'm really excited to read. 
Yay, I love hearing the book picks. And I lied, one more question. Um, what can we expect from you guys coming up, which may be big question, because I know literally Kennedy, you just had your book released, and Jasmine, your book will be releasing next month. But is there anything you can tell us we should be looking out for from either of you um, in the coming months, days, <laughs> weeks, whatever? Uh, Jasmine. Um, I'm, you know, I was telling Kennedy that I turned in um, a new book uh, about a month ago and I haven't, um, I can't talk about it yet, but I haven't gotten edits back on it, which I think is good for me to have like a little break <laughs> from that. So I'm sure I will be diving back into that um, in a few weeks, but hopefully you'll get to hear more about that um, soon. So, you know. Hold on. Okay. Okay. That's good. I like to hear more books. Um, Kennedy. Um, I, like I mentioned before, I am writing the novella for the best friend, um, Takira, who is, um, uh, in real, it's the heroine's best friend. I'm writing a novella for her, which will come out in September, 3001 Dark Nights. And then I am diving into, um, I am actually venturing back into traditional publishing next year. And uh, I have a new series that I'm launching called the Skyland series. And book one is Hindsight. And um, surprising no one, it's a, <laughs> an emotionally wrenching. They are divorced. Mm -hmm. um, they are a divorced couple and it's kind of like their journey back to their happily ever after. So I'm really, really excited about the Skyland series and about that first book, which is called Hindsight. Okay, beautiful. Both really exciting developments. Um, but congratulations to both of you on your success and your books being released this year. Again, Real by Kennedy Ryan. It came out June 8th. Um, and look out for While We Were Dating by Jasmine coming out July 13th. So thank you guys so much. This was amazing. I always love talking romance. So yeah. Thank you thank so you. much. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Now for a special audiobook excerpt from Kennedy Ryan's latest release, Real. Chapter 7. Neva. Of course the elevator isn't working. I punch the darkened button seven more times just to make sure the universe is indeed conspiring against me. As if this day has not found every way possible to make that clear. I woke to a petulant day with pouting clouds downcast in a moody sky, so I brought my umbrella just in case. My period came early, like three days early, probably triggered by the stress of this oncoming audition. Yes, oncoming, not upcoming, because it feels like a train barreling toward me for a collision. So, I have cramps. I chipped a tooth eating a bagel. Who chips a tooth eating a bagel? Now, in my defense, that bagel was tough. Fortunately, it was a back tooth. It and my dentist will have to wait until this audition is behind me. Then the subway stalled. Only for a few minutes, but between the chipped tooth, the stalled subway, and now the out-of-order elevator, I'm running late. This place would be on the fifth floor, I mutter, flapping my arms a little so I don't sweat too badly. 
At least I'm dressed comfortably. The casting agent said come wearing little to no makeup and street clothes. My ballet flats have gotten a workout today, schlepping through Manhattan to get to this old building with its broken elevator. I release a long, relieved breath when I reach the fifth floor landing. A door opens to a studio with a long table and three chairs. Autumn sunlight streams through the floor-to-ceiling windows. A camera rests on a tripod in the middle of the room. A gray-streaked brunette, maybe in her late 40s, turns from contemplating the street below to smile at me. Neva? she asks, walking forward and extending her hand to shake. Yes, hi, Miss Perkins. Call me Mallory, please. She gestures toward the table. Would you like to put your things down? If you had to walk up five flights of stairs like I did, you must be out of breath. She looks me up and down and grins wryly. Though it looks like you're in better shape than I am. I drop my bag and umbrella on the table and wait for instructions. She didn't send sides in advance and didn't ask me to prepare anything, so I assume this is a cold read. I also assume Cannon won't be coming. Is it, um, just us? I ask. Yeah, just me today. She turns the camera on. Cannon generally doesn't do these. Of course, I rush to say, not wanting her to think I expect special attention from him. He prefers to see auditions on tape. She takes one of the seats behind the table and slides a script toward me. Working title is printed on the front. Maybe this is the film Cannon keeps saying hasn't been announced. It's well-worn and malleable in my hands. How many girls have stood in front of Mallory Perkins, heart in their throats, like I am right now? Clueless and hopeful, uncertain. How many girls got a surprise text from Cannon Holt and felt flattered that the great director had handpicked her, only to show up and discover he'll watch them on tape later. Then they never hear from him again because whatever he thought he saw actually wasn't there. Find page 17 in the script, Mallory says, jotting a few words on a legal pad. You can read the part of Desi, and I'll read Tilda. Let's start with the, sorry I'm late. My head swivels to the door, and I nearly swallow my tongue when Cannon strides into the room. He looks scrumptious in an army jacket worn over another hoodie, this one with USC emblazoned across the front. I refuse to be distracted by this and immediately imagine him wearing an Oscar Mayer wiener costume. They say envision your audience naked, but the last thing I should do is imagine Cannon naked. The wiener also doesn't help. He's still really attractive. And I still have a job to do, so I force a casual smile like I'm not completely thrown by his sudden appearance. I didn't think you were. Mallory tilts her head and squints at him. I mean, you don't usually. I was close by. He walks over to the camera closing one eye and peering through the lens, adjusts a button on the side and sits at the table beside Mallory. 
I have an appointment in 30 minutes, three blocks away. In other words, let's get this over with. Mallory must hear the unspoken command same as I do. Right, she says. So, on page 17, do you know why I want this cold, Neva? Cannon interrupts. I look up from the script in my hands to find his dark, disconcerting gaze trained on my face. Is this a trick question? If so, it's working. Um, I guess... Let me just tell you, because again, I'm short on time. When I do a documentary, it's with real-life subjects, people with true stories to tell. You don't know anything about this movie, but it's a true story. It's a life story. And though I'll take some creative license, I'm looking for someone true. In a documentary, the subject doesn't rehearse to be on camera because it's about honesty and about instinct and immediacy. There usually aren't takes. You've never read what's on page 17, so I'm not judging if you trip over words or anything like that. I'm looking for truth, who you really are as an artist and as a person. That's more important to me than if you can memorize lines for an audition and polish up real good to impress us for 10 minutes. That's the most words he's ever spoken to me, and I'm trying to absorb them, trying to use what he just gave me to do my best, to show him who I actually am and to tell the truth. Okay, he says. Now in the script, turn to page 17. Thanks for listening to the Hollywood Renaissance limited podcast series with Kennedy Ryan featuring Jasmine Guillory and Mackenzie Jean-Philippe. Audiobook excerpt narrated by Ebony Flowers as Neva. The Hollywood Renaissance podcast is produced by Keisha Menefee and Olivia Stibby. For more info on the books mentioned in today's episodes or to follow Kennedy Ryan and our guests, please take a look at the show notes and follow their Instagram accounts. You can find Jasmine Guillory at Jasmine Picks, Mackenzie Jean-Philippe at Mackenzie.jp, and Kennedy Ryan at Kennedy Ryan 1. Thanks again for listening.